are listening to The Depression Session at 99.1 FM Downtown Radio. Each week, we'll have a new guest tell the story of their depression. I'm your host, Laura Milkins, and thank you for joining us on The Depression Session. Just a note for my listeners, I want to make sure you understand that this is a show about depression, and some of the content can be triggering, so please take care of yourself if something on the show brings up difficult feelings, and seek professional help if you need it. Thank you. Hello, and welcome to the Depression Session on Downtown Radio. Today, we have with us in the studio, Susie Murphy. Susie is an advocate and local member of the Tucson community. We'll be right back with Susie, but first, let's talk about summertime. It's hot. It's Arizona. And I feel just weird sort of depression stuff that I haven't been feeling for a while. I don't want to do anything. And I chalk some of it up to like, it's God awful hot. Who wants to do anything? There are some studies that show that there is also sad, like there is in the winter when we are light deprived. You can have a similar experience in the summer. And I know in Arizona, we actually get a little less sun in the summer than in the winter because you don't want to go outside. <laughs> so as the, as the temperature chocks up and up and up and up into the hundreds, it's not uncommon to just, you know, not want to leave your house. But this kind of not want to leave my house feels like depression. I like watched about five episodes of some stupid show the other day. Uh, I think that's like a normal way of dealing with depression. <laughs> It's not healthy and stay, you know, curl up on the couch with my laptop. So anyway, I looked up on Smithsonian Magazine and they were just talking about the, that people have sad both in the winter and the summer. And this is kind of in the middle of it. Other symptoms are opposites, like the seasons themselves. Winter sufferers often feel sluggish, sleep more than usual, and tend to overeat and gain weight. By contrast, summertime depression often brings insomnia, loss of appetite, weight loss, and feelings of anxiety and agitation. Summertime sad can also create an increased feeling of isolation. If misery loves company, sad sufferers can find plenty of other people to commiserate with during the dreary winter months. But during summer, most everyone seems to be having a great time. It remains a puzzle why some people experience sad during the months of fun in the sun. Some research suggests that it can be triggered by too much sun exposure or oppressive heat. Other scientists have theorized that allergies play a role or that people are responding to shifts in sleeping habits during summer's lighter nights and bright early mornings. I've been thinking about why I'm experiencing it, and I always think it's tied into the school calendar a little bit. I rush around doing a million, hundred million things all year long, and then suddenly it's done, and I have a break. And it feels like a good break for the first day, (laughs) and then... I, I, it almost feels like I'm recuperating from some illness. The other day I had this experience of like, I felt like I was waking up from a dream as if I'd been in some sort of weird dream for the last nine months during school of like just doing everything and running around and being busy and having this time and free space, and there's a bunch of stuff I'm supposed to be getting done, but I basically have, I can make my own schedule, which is not always healthy. But something in that made me feel like I had been so busy that being not busy felt like waking up. And the the lack of sleep and the anxiety and all that stuff is true. But there's also this sort of like, who am I and where have I been all year? 
And so for all of you out there listening, if you're having summertime blues, you are not alone. I'm having summertime blues. And just screw all those people who are happy and having a fun time. No kidding. <laughs> but just just be be take care of yourself. Don't think that it's abnormal. And uh, cheers to you all. Today we have with us in the studio Susie Murphy. Susie is an advocate and local member of the Tucson community. Hello, Susie, and welcome to the Depression Session. Hello, Laura. It's nice to meet you. Yeah, it's nice to have you here. <laughs> so how's your summer going? How's your day going? If you want to talk about that. <laughs> how's my day going? I'm steadily improving. <laughs> Good. <laughs> I'll, I'll try to start out on a positive note. I, 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 I try to be positive as much as I can. So uh, steadily improving. Yay. I'm glad to hear that. Well, it's nice to have you here. What's new with you? What's going on in your world? What do you want to share with our audience? Hmm. Let's see. My world is in flux. Yeah. Definitely say that. Lots of really wonderful things are happening in my world. While at the same time still acknowledging the things that I've been maybe afraid to address, you know, but also trying to forgive myself and be gentle to myself while I work through those things and just know that things have their own timeline. Yes. And that can be hard reconciling with the society that we live in. So yeah, so I'm kind of just feeling things out right now. I always feel like the timeline for American culture is somewhere along the lines of like Speedy Gonzalez. It's like, <laughs> get it done, get it done, get it done, run around, do, go, be. And yeah. I'm not okay with that, actually. No. Yeah, I'm sorry you're feeling that way, but yeah, I, I definitely understand that. Yeah. And there's a lot of pressure to be productive all the time. Mm -hmm. I think that's a little bit of my depression. I'm not getting anything done. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's hot out. Although this morning I put plants in my garden. I know it's kind of late. <laughs> no, give yourself credit where credit is due. So for sure. So Susie, tell us the story of your depression. Mm, the story of my depression, it's ever changing. What it looks like now is not what it looked like a year ago or five years ago, 10 years ago, or even childhood. I've been dealing with depression since um, I was a young kid. Didn't really address it until I was about 16. And then not really again fully until I was around 19. I got sick at the age of 19 and, and had to stop everything I was doing for about two years. Had to learn how to like regain my memory, learn how to walk again, learn how to just do everything again. And there was a lot of paranoia and fear. And I really was fortunate at that time to have um, a lot of uh, emotional psychiatric support. I was able to get help from the hospital I was receiving services and then a school counselor and then a psychiatric social worker. I was definitely very blessed during that time. Over time, things changed. You get back into the swing of things. You're healthy enough. You start getting your energy back and you try to get in and, and, and give everything that you've got. For me, that worked well until it didn't. And so I found myself, got older, dealing with chronic health problems that resulted from what I had and just going through a lot of different life changes unexpectedly and, and not knowing exactly how to react because each of these depressive cycles were different. I was able to still get my life together, get married, do the whole thing. But my depression really took a, a, a de definitive turn about two years ago. I had my first hospital stay. It was a very short one. I, I was there. They looked at me and said, oh, you know, you're actually 
quite fine. Do you think you belong here? And I said, well, no, I don't think so, but I really need services and I'm going everywhere trying to get services. But because I have insurance and, and, and I'm not SMI, I'm happy to show up at the CRC and, and get help. Well, that actually led to me getting an interview for SMI and being determined SMI. So that kind of opened some doors and stuff. Um, I still didn't really believe the diagnosis. And later on, the way they treated me reflected that the diagnosis wasn't the most accurate one. But it still opened all of these doors, all these therapies and these different medications and some that worked for a long time and some that didn't. During that time, we did, we did uh, come across one particular medication that was like life changing for me. And I was able to start doing the things that I hadn't pursued since I was maybe 20, since before I got sick. And they all had a component of self-expression, something I hadn't been able to tap into for a very, very long time. And so for a period of time, things were really great. Towards the end of that first year, I encountered some trauma and it definitely changed my world. And it would change actually the face of my depression as well. And I would spend the next few months not really able to recognize it, knowing that it was there, but not knowing how to name it, what to do. And slowly my life basically fell apart. Everything that once had meaning to me had no meaning. I couldn't connect to anything. I couldn't connect to myself. And I found myself um, in the hospital. And this time, not for a day. There wasn't just, okay, you know, you're actually good. You can go home. I knew I wasn't safe. I spent five days at, at one place and then they said, oh, you're great. We think you're wonderful. Just sign this agreement telling us, you know, how much you loved your stay. And if you want a job here, by the way, you got that. And because <laughs> I was so aware. And then uh, four days later, while my sister was visiting, I, I tried to hurt myself again and I ended up on the warm line and then on the phone with the police and everything else and ended up going for another nice long stay this one nine days long having my whole self-identity shaken to its core but that was a good thing and then I was released and that's actually where all the work started was when I when I was released I finally got a new therapist and she called things for what they were she helped me to kind of look past my diagnosis. I was really clinging to my diagnosis. If if my diagnosis was just, you know, it was just determined correctly, if they really just got it right, then they get the right medications, and then I could get the right help. And she helped me see that it wasn't my diagnosis. Things were happening. I responded a certain way. What we were going to have to deal with was old belief systems, ideologies, and everything. We were going to have to kind of tear down everything, all those negative tapes that have played in my head. That was the start of some really intense work, but some really wonderful work. And I responded very well. I started after isolating from, even after getting out of the hospital, I was still wanting to isolate. But instead, I treated my group as nine to five, eventually got into the recovery support specialist program at the U of A and became what I wanted to be. Once again, I'd worked in social service before, so it was really nice to be working on that mental health component, but I was a peer support. I was doing uh, direct support work and loving it. And then my depression decided, guess what? You know what? You're enjoying your life. You're feeling like you're in control again. You, you know what? Maybe, maybe you're not. I didn't really want to listen to that. 
because there's no way that I couldn't be doing what I was supposed to be doing. This is my purpose. This is what I'm supposed to do. And then my body said, oh, guess what? Depression's not the only one who knows this is not right for you. And that I did not accept. I absolutely love my job. I, I connected with people on such an incredible level. But for me, I had to come and face what had been happening over a period of years as well, and is a component of my depression, was that my autoimmune conditions were starting to like let my body know that I had limits. And that in order to, to sustain whatever, whatever was going on positively in my life, I had to really listen to my body. And I am one of those who is so willing to, to, to preach to everyone else about self-care and loving oneself and, and, and really listening to one's body and, and taking some time to reflect. And I would do some of those, but when it comes to actually taking care of myself, I almost do the opposite when I know that I need to. I immediately throw myself into helping other people even more. And what had happened was that very quickly, I was burning out. I would have these days where like days in a row, three, four days in a row where I was just, I was on it. I was doing all these home visits and writing up these reports and, and running these groups and things were really great. And then I'd have four or five days where I felt like I had a full body flu and I felt really sad every day. The idea even going to work, I didn't want to, didn't want to do anything ever again. And eventually I kept on pushing myself rather than asking for help. And even though I will stress that where I worked, they were very big on self-care. It was, it was really incredible, the support for peer sports in, in this town. But I still kept pushing until I couldn't push anymore. And lots of changes occur as in behavioral health. They always do. There's mergers, there's reorganizations. You lose half of your staff. The person who is your supervisor is no longer, and you have to kind of create your own team. Those things happen. Unfortunately, I was not equipped to handle them. And so eventually, I just started shutting down. But this is where I say my depression is different than it once was. Because when I used to experience depression when I was younger, I would get very sad. I would get in despair, but it didn't keep me from doing the things that I needed to do, not wanted to do. Yeah, I, I disconnected from everything else, but the integrity of showing up, that was there. I no longer had that. And I think that was the real thing that did me in, was that, no, 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 you know, like I was having this constant battle in my head going, this is not you. You show up for things. You just need to explain to somebody, you just need to do this. And instead, my depression and my anxiety, my PTSD said, nope, it's not worth it. Nobody's going to get it. This whole point of you working through your recovery to get to where you are now, well, look where you are now. It's just not worth it. And so I shut down for, for about three months. And luckily, I had some really good friends who didn't give up on me. We had many interesting conversations. And frankly, <laughs> I must have told them off in a million different ways. I certainly pushed away some people. But there would be these periods where I would just neglect myself. And I mean truly neglect myself for four or five days. And because again, I just, I couldn't go through with anything. I, that was it. That was just not a night uh, something was going to happen. But instead, I just waste away. I just would let things happen around me and, you know, and just 
deal with the outcome. Then I'd have these periods like about a few days in, like, wait, what if I do try today? I had this idea in my head. What if, okay, so what if everything is horrible, but what if it isn't? What if I get up today? What if I try today? What if nothing happens beyond that? But what if I try today? And so then I would get maybe a day and a half of productivity, a day and a half where I didn't hate myself every moment, where I didn't basically reflect on every mistake I'd ever made and allow it to define who I was. At the same time, people were still in communication with me because I was living very vulnerably on social media. That was a very important part of what I did. So people kept on reaching out, kept inviting me to things. And finally, I decided to go to one of these things. And I was like, you know what? I've actually had a pretty good like day and a half or two days. I've actually shown up for a few things. If I can, can show up a little bit more today, if I can apply for a few more jobs, if I can go to my doctor's appointment, if I can, or make a doctor's appointment even, then I will allow myself to do it. My friend turned out not to be able to go with me, which was absolutely terrifying to me because who was I? I didn't know who I was anymore. I, I couldn't trust who I was anymore. But I went and I went to this dance group. I have no dancing ability in my body and no training. And I was accepted immediately. And I was able to just relax and, and find this freedom. And so I ended up dancing the entire night and then came back for another dance. And at the same time, what I was doing in terms of going to therapy and working with that, I was encouraged to start writing. And so I started attending writing workshops and poetry um, workshops and things like that. And it turned out my expression started coming out in my writing. At the same time, we decided to start EMDR, and I was able to start walking through my memories and noticing the physiological responses to them. And through, through this practice, being able to let go of those emotional responses to those things. So pretty much all together, that helped me feel whole, and I was able to start moving forward and start getting my life back on track. Thanks so much for your story, Susie. I just want to mention a couple of things in there. One is just finding relief through creative expression. Like that's my world. <laughs> I really relate to that and the power of that. Yeah. Yeah. For me, I didn't realize, I, I mean, I could express myself occasionally through my writing and things like that on social media. And when I've talked to people, I knew that they they really heard me. I knew I could communicate well. But it wasn't until I started really letting the words direct me and my body direct me and listening to my body's response to everything and allowing that to kind of direct me. That's where the real change happened. And I went, oh, I've been suppressing my expression for all these years, mm -hmm. even though the thing that I love most is, is helping other people discover their ability to express themselves. So that's pretty wonderful. Um, <laughs> But at the same time now, because of, I'm, I'm very much in touch with my feelings, maybe some would say too in touch, and that's okay, I'm able to connect with people in a different way. I'm able to find meaning in things where I have never found meaning before. I see the opportunity versus like the challenge. I can still acknowledge those things, but I see that there's this whole world beyond it. That is a really beautiful feeling and one I thought I would never feel with this depression. And the other thing that interests me is the the way that depression keeps shifting on you. 
that's 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 got to be maddening because you're like, okay, I got it. Here's my toolkit. Yes. yes. <laughs> got it. Here's my toolkit. I can do this. Well, yeah, that's that when we talked about that recovery, like when that, that when I started having those moments of uh, futileness and and hopelessness, it was I've worked so hard on my recovery. This is like the third time I've worked on my recovery. What what am I not doing? What am I not learning? Am I then not taking my lessons from this? Like it was so much easier to turn it on me than it just being like, okay, there's circumstances in your life. There's brain chemistry involved. And then there is still stuff that you're working through that maybe you're not aware of or you're aware of, but you're not ready to, to access. That's becoming the part where I can't access certain things is definitely changing. And I owe that all to EMDR for sure. But yes, the, the constant change in the depression, especially from somebody who has worked in behavioral health and studied behavioral health, it's like, shouldn't I get this? Shouldn't <laughs> I like have like some roadmap at some point? But the takeaway that I have from it, and I can, I can say this and own this is basically that you have healing, recovery, all of that has its own timeline. And I could live and could have, would have, should have. But I had to heal the way I did. There was no way around it but to go through it. And each time that I've had to go through this process, I've become stronger. I've learned more about myself. And I relate to the world differently. It's been really hard, but I can definitely look back and go, you know, it it happened the way it had to. Sometimes I feel like depression just gives you these little turds. (laughs) You know? And if you, if you brush away all the turd, there's like a little crystal in there. You know? It's like awesome. You know? Here's your polished turd. Um, I'll treasure it forever. Just need to wash that stuff off. You know, there's a crystal in there. There's a pony underneath yeah. all that somewhere. Yeah, but then you realize when you reflect and you go, well, yeah, if I had gotten this job when I needed it, or, you know, somebody had funded me, you know, for some project I was working on instead of like dropping out, well, then this wouldn't have happened. And then this wouldn't have happened. And then I wouldn't have been forced to sit with stuff. And I've always been really good with sitting with stuff, but not letting it drag me down after a long period of time, that's pretty hard. And there's always that fear that it will. Because yeah. I now have seen it. It's happened. It's happened in different fashion each time, but it's happened. So there is always that part that you're waiting for the other shoe to drop. But I do believe, though, that now that I'm really letting my body tell me what to do and letting my expression come through in all these artistic ways, that's actually going to be the thing that carries me through and keeps me from the isolation and keeps me um, from feeling a lack of connection or, or that there's no hope. Before the show, we were talking a little bit about asking for help. And that like double-edged thing of, well, that, that requires me to let my ego go and be humble. What ego? <laughs> I feel very strongly that depression for me is this like letting go of ego multiple times, mm-hmm. whoever I think I am or mm-hmm. thought I was or thought I might be mm-hmm. and letting go of again. Exactly. There, there's, a, there's a phrase that my poor friends have been subjected to for years now. And often with exclamation points on social media at like 3 a.m. And that's, I fear that in order to become who I need to be, that I will have to lose everything that I hold dear. Yeah. And that is my greatest fear. 
But at the same time, when you lose, all that can be lost. And I do understand, as part of me knows, there's still another bottom floor for me to fall through, and it keeps me on my toes. But, but at the same time, there's a lot of freedom and power in that. Because you've got, you, you're kind of already at rock bottom. There, yeah. there is no more that you can lose. There are no more people who can walk away because they don't know how to talk to you or they can't deal with that type of like challenge in their life. That's kind of the hardest part is the friends that you lose. The, yeah. You know, and the loved ones that you lose or the loved ones that you have to cut loose. Yeah. And so I've had to do all of those, but I can, I can honestly say I'm happier with my life. I can say that I've forgiven myself for a lot of things. I can say that I am enough and own that and I'm worthy. So I might not feel that way tomorrow. You know, <laughs> you might have to like call me to get me out of bed, but those, those truths are not lost on me. And that, the, and then you bring up worthiness. That was the other side of it we were talking mm-hmm. about. So to ask for help requires you. And I, I'm like the worst ask for help person. Mm-hmm. I've done projects on and stuff, but I ultimately, it's probably the hardest thing for me to do. And when I say I'm kind of having a hard day, it's like saying, shouting from the rooftop, I'm not okay, you know, but people interpret it as like, oh, she's kind of having a hard no, day. That's, that's <laughs> one of the most interesting things about, about those of us who actually live with depression, not just go through occasional periods. And I'm not knocking those who only, you know, deal with circumstantial or occasional depression. It, it sucks for all of us. It's real for all of us. But the thing is, when you live within it day in and day out, you l- learn some sort of resiliency. And of course, that's the one thing people always say about me is, oh God, you're so resilient. And I love it. And I also hate it. And I want to tell people to go mess with themselves. But at the same time, people don't see that you're falling apart. Even some of the most intuitive, empathic people do not pick up on it. Even when you think that you are just a bleeding heart and you are just like draping yourself everywhere and leaving blood stains on the rug, people are like, I had no idea. You just held it together so well. You never said anything. Never said anything? Have you ever talked to me? I, I feel like I could have had a semaphore flag and nobody, <laughs> and neon lights and nobody would have figured it out. Inside, you're like, absolutely like ready to jump off the cliff and and everybody's like oh that's that's too bad um so where what uh, what are you gonna do about it you know okay do you want to get some ice cream well ice cream is nice i like ice cream i'll eat ice cream don't know if it's going to help me like myself in the moment but okay let's get some ice cream yeah so and that's kind of the other thing is realizing that people do the best that they can and not personalizing their responses. That has been one of the hardest things, especially in the last, in this last round was when people weren't able to meet me at the level that I needed. And in the past, I would look at that as like, these weren't real friendships and that I wasn't worthy enough. And instead I could look at it and go, they're doing the best they can, but what happens and how people react to me, Almost 99% of the time is not a reflection of who I am. And that, I'm okay with that. And I I find that we misjudge how much everybody's in their own isolated world and worldview. Absolutely. But like how little we're able to see each other. 
Well, that kind of makes me brings a real good point about basically distorted perception versus trust and intuition. Mm-hmm. Because when you're when your depression and your anxiety and your PTSD, when when those mental health components are running your life, you see things differently. And so you might still be quite intuitive. You might be picking up on something, but after a certain point, you don't trust yourself. You don't trust your responses. So how are you going to trust anything that occurs around you? That's a that's definitely an area that I find I have to work with and and where I have to say, okay, here's how I'm feeling. Kind of do a mood log and and do some like rationalization here. Here's how I'm feeling. Here's what the situation is. Here's how I'm feeling. And then okay, so that if that was a distorted perception, then what is the reality? Or what do I want the reality to be? And kind of check in with myself frequently. Yeah. And I'll admit, sometimes I'm really good at that. And sometimes I'm like, I could do that, but I'm just too busy or I'm too tired or there's a shower to be had. Those are definitely areas that I I really benefit from, from working on some self-analysis. Well, at the same time, not getting too analytical and actually not staying in my head all the time. On that note, I want to thank you so much for being on the depression session. Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure, Laura. I want to mention again that if you found some of the content of today's episode triggering, please seek professional help and call 911 if you feel like hurting yourself or others. I'm not a licensed therapist and this show and the station are not endorsing any remedies or products. The purpose of this show is to destigmatize depression through storytelling. You can find a link to mental health services on downtownradio.org on the About KTDT page. To listen to the podcast, or if you're interested in being on the show, contact us at www.thedepressionsession.com. You've been listening to The Depression Session on Downtown Radio Tucson with music by Septa Helix. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at The Depression Session Podcast. Thank you.